Guys, I'm gonna tell you something. Do you know how I know that the devil exists? Because cases like this find me. The only thing I have put into a Google search was pickup artist charged. And that led me to a YouTube video of this guy being like in court upon appeal. And he is appealing on the basis of an autism defense, which I was like, <laughs> what? First of all, what? So, of course, I had to Google his name. And that beautiful Google search led me to a gang rape. So, uh, this is probably the grimmest story that I have ever researched. And now you're like, Maya, you literally researched like serial killers. Like, what the fuck do you mean? There are certain stories that are messed up because you know that they can easily happen to you. There are a lot of crime stories where we can detach ourselves from it because you're like, oh yeah, that would never happen to me because of X, Y, Z. This one, I feel if you're a woman listening to this episode, you can relate that this could happen to any single one of us. And that's what makes it so scary. It's one of the scariest stories out there. So I just wanted to give a disclaimer on top of this episode that this one includes the topic of rape gang rape, and a victim describing in great detail of exactly what has happened to her. Just wanted to enter with a disclaimer because I want you to take care of yourself. Like If you have ever been a survivor of rape or even a pickup artist attempt of sexual assault, or maybe if your friend has been affected, maybe this is the episode to just sit out on. And like, there's plenty more in the archive. Just take care of yourself because this one is tough. It was tough for me to research, and I know it's going to be tough for me to speak about it, just purely even as a woman. So definitely be cautious with this one. There are timestamps in the video, but yeah, just wanted to give a heads up. Now, before we dive into that case, Maya is the name. By all means necessary is the game. It is the name of this podcast. It is the podcast that tackles crime, true crime cases, usually in a light-hearted manner. Yeah, except the most morbid cases find me and then I'm like, I need to tell this story because I'm not sure that many people are aware of it because truly, this one just isn't really covered and it drives me insane because it's so important to speak about it. And then on top of the episode, I go for like expressions, you know, because I have that expression passion and I like you to learn with me. So let's dive into that two expressions of the day because last week as you could have seen uh the footage was kind of corrupted so you only got one expression and it all sounded like you know i was even more manic than usual so i i owe you one let's dive into two expressions of the day and then to the grimmest case ever the first expression was cut out of last week's video is putting all of the eggs into one basket now, visually, you can understand what this means. You know, let's say your hen or chicken, no, my hens are the ones that lay eggs. <laughs> Don't go into it, please. So your hen lays the eggs and you put them all into one basket. And then what do you do when you put them all into one basket? What happens if you drop that freaking basket? Causa y Efecto by Paulina Rubio happens. There is a single person listening to this video that will understand that reference. And that is all that matters. Please listen to that song. I'll put it up on the screen if you don't know what it's about. <laughs> it's like literally ancient. Nobody listens to Paulina Rubio no more except the true fans. Just like with this podcast. Okay. 
house the effect of means cause and effect basically all of the eggs are just gonna break because of the chain reaction so that's why you don't put all of the eggs into one basket also did your parents ever teach you not to put all of the money into like one bank account or always to keep cash on the side because mine always made me so paranoid about it both me and my brother to be honest my brother kept some money under the carpet at some point. We were like five. <laughs> Just don't understand. But hey, sure, yes, you always need to keep some cash on the side or under the mattress, as they told us. Listen, our parents constantly made us paranoid. And then they're like, how is she into true crime? Like, bitch, bitch. So putting all of the eggs into one basket means relying too much on one resource. But did you know that the expression originated from the Spanish masterpiece, the book that all of the Spaniards have read, and I'm a fake Spaniard fan that I don't think I have read this book ever, because it's ancient, okay? It's Don Quixote de la Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes, and it was written in, like, 16,000, so, sure. <laughs> sure, why? that's why. It's like the person that understood the Paulina Rubio reference is now like doubting me as a friend, so block me on WhatsApp. Alejandro, don't, don't, you, don't you run for your life, okay? <laughs> Stop it. The plot of Don Quixote revolves around the adventures of this noble man named Alonso. And this guy reads too many romance novels and kind of loses his mind and decides to become a knight in order to revive chivalry and serve his nation. So he's kind of like me with telenovelas, where I was like, this is definitely real life, and this is how my romantic life is gonna go. And where did that lead us, Maya? Unrealistic expectations. Fantasies before falling asleep. Anything else? That you, is this your therapy session? <laughs> Are you paying them? Because if not, then let's move on, innit? So in 1615, Miguel de Cervantes wrote, to withdraw is not to run away, and to stay is no wise action when there's more reason to fear than to hope. This is the part of a wise man to keep himself today for tomorrow, and not venture all his eggs in one basket. The second expression of the day is, where is your oyster? I have heard it this week, and I was like, Wait, I don't think I ever spoke about this. Because in my mind, I immediately remember oyster cards when somebody mentions oyster, because I'm not really into eating fish. So I was like, okay, there must be something there as well, as in, like, the naming behind oyster cards. And there kind of is. But of course, the actual origin of the expression originates with the, the oysters, you know, the little things which bird and pop pearls. The meaning of the expression is that everything is open to somebody. And the metaphor comes from you having an oyster, meaning that there is a chance that there might be a pearl inside. It originates from Shakespeare, as we have learned on this podcast. I hate the man. And uh, also most of the expressions originate from him, because apparently he was like an important figure in English language or something, I've heard. <laughs> when you brush past that, like... This is how people are going to brush past your life, Maya. This is how they're going to brush past this whole podcast and the YouTube channel, all of the work that you have put in. How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel appreciate Shakespeare? Does that make you appreciate Shakespeare more? Still, no, no. More of a Paulina Rubio fan than Shakespeare fan. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. So, 
the expression that Shakespeare formed was the world's mine oyster, and it comes from his comedy The Merry Wives of Windsor. And when it comes to naming of the oyster card, well, they actually had in mind this original expression, you know, Shakespeare is British after all and all of that, but also Thames estuary oyster beds are apparently a thing, like apparently in Thames there's like a whole estuary that is full of oysters and that might be one of the reasons. Although to be honest, oyster cards are mostly used on the underground, so they, they kind of might have lied, but actually Fun fact, during this research, oyster cards weren't always named that. TFL, Transport for London, formed a contract with a company that was called Transis, and the brand originally belonged to them, to Transis. But then, in 2010, the partnership terminated and TFL acquired the brand at one million pounds. Like, they're people homeless and they acquired the brand just to have a freaking card and now everybody uses contactless. Why is life this pointless? So there you have it, two very underwhelming expressions of the day. In this case, I'm most definitely prolonging me starting off this episode because this is so grim. This is so grim. It's beyond. It is above and beyond. So before we dive in, you know how with this pickup artist, I'm giving you kind of like a legend or like terminology briefing at the beginning of each episode about like the terms that are going to be mentioned that you kind of need to understand because they have a whole lingo, okay? It's not, it's not my rules, it is theirs. They invented this whole lingo because apparently they've been successful using it. Debatable. So today we're going to talk about red pill first. If this microphone, this microphone just does not want me to succeed today. Is it, are you plugged properly now? Or do I still, do I just look like a mug? Like holding a microphone while the sound is like from the camera. Okay, red pill. If you're a movie buff, you're like, why does this need an explanation? Because you have heard about the red pill from The Matrix. Trust me, I have spoken to my husband, who is more into movies, a lot more into movies than I am, and I was like, hey, are you familiar with the red pill? And then he looked at me like I was a toddler, and I was like, I don't need this attitude, just explain it to me. So, according to him, basically Neo, Keanu Reeves in Matrix is given this these two options to choose between a red pill and a blue pill and the blue pill will give him this interesting life knowing more than he knows now and the red pill will kind of make it boring meaning that it would give him a reality check so if you are a pickup artist you see taking the red pill as you seeing through the evils of a politically correct society whose supposed goal is to kill everything that remains from the world's masculinity. To be honest, I don't know why did they have to bring this movie into this? Why did they have to bring Matrix into it? Because it doesn't seem like that relevant to the movie, but sure. That is also why the A Games website last week that we spoke about is called Red Pill Rights, which is something that I thought doesn't have any relevance, but of course, in the pickup world, nothing is accidental. Nothing is just like by pure chance. They think this shit through to the core. The next thing we're going to talk about on this list is called a shit test. 
A shit test is used by pickup artists to describe when a woman is giving you a hard time. But of course, if you are a pickup artist, you just see this as a challenge. You see this as a situation that can be turned around. So, for example, let's say a woman throws away a comment such as, I have a boyfriend or I'm a lesbian when you meet her. According to the pickup artist's websites, this can be interpreted in several ways. Because no, let's just not take it for what it is, like the woman is taken or isn't into you as a guy. No. Let's interpret this in multiple ways. It can mean that the woman really does have a boyfriend or is a lesbian. B, that the woman is not interested in talking to anybody and see that the woman is throwing a shit test to see how you would react. This this article then goes on to say that as a pickup artist, you need to overcome this by either ignoring it, of course, we need to ignore women at all costs, this is how we get them to like us, and or or you agree with it, you say like, oh yeah, you do have a boyfriend, that, that will definitely work in your favor, or... You make a joke about it. Listen, I don't know who created these rules. I don't know who this works on. I work on people. Shit test is similar to another term that we will be using today. That is token resistance. (laughs) This is the one that really starts up all of the rage inside of me. Because token resistance is the act of pretending to resist sexual advances when you really actually want to sleep with a man, when you really actually want to say yes, but you are pretending like you're hard to get. And this one, unfortunately, it isn't hard to think where men could have gotten these ideas. Because if you think of a really any single TV show, any single rom-com, it is all about turning the situation around. It is all about a woman in the beginning saying no, but that no being misconstrued as try harder, maybe later, not now, but you can turn it around, like if you try harder, uh, maybe keep talking to me, say something else, that something else might work, I like you, but I'm playing hard to get, or I want it really, but you know, I just don't want to appear easy. And as we spoke last week, this token resistance, of course, means that you just need to try harder, you just need to maybe apply a different technique and you can turn the situation around from the perspective of the pickup artist. Or it can mean that it might lead to last-minute resistance, which, if you remember, is that very last minute and once you kind of get to, like, first, second base, that the woman is kind of you know, rejecting you, saying no, not even kind of, she's just actually saying no, in which case, again, you just need to pretend like you respect her and that you are not pissed off and that will work in order to get her into bed. I'm just passing, I'm just a messenger here. I did not invent these terms. And yet again, I'm making you aware of them because apparently they work in multiple different situations. And the story we're going to talk about right now involves a lot of these terms. So let us dive into the grimness of it all. In 2013, Claire and her friend met a few guys after a night out. They'd go to their flat not knowing that this apartment is a den that these three men would use to lure women. This night would lead Alex Smith, Jason Berlin, and Jonas Dick being responsible for Claire's rape. 
the judge in this case will make sure they get the highest possible sentence by all means necessary. What were their motives? time for nobody's shit today. Okay. Our story starts on a Saturday night in October 2013 when Claire, of course, this is a fake name that was given by her. I've seen her described as a doe, as if it was a Jane doe in different cases. But to me, a doe is quite literally an unidentified dead person and Claire is very much alive and very much the badass of this story so I'm just going to be referring to her as that and of course it's a fake name for obvious reasons. She was 31 in 2013 and she went out for a couple of drinks with a friend. This friend, let's call her Laura, and Claire went to San Diego's trendy district called Gaslamp Quarter. Gaslamp, like from the pictures, reminds me of Carnaby Street, if anybody is here in London. It is quite literally the Carnaby Street of San Diego in the US, in California. I'm only mentioning this next bit because it is irrelevant in a story like this, and I hate that it is relevant. It most definitely needs to change, but it has to be mentioned. Claire was drinking that night. She drank a glass of champagne, then a shot of Fireball, then some pear cider, and Laura drank some vodka sodas. But again... Claire wasn't drunk. She said she was tipsy and then she got tipsier. She said like at no point was she blackout drunk. After one bar, they moved on to the next one for two more drinks. Here they drank lemon drop shot and a cocktail. Now this bar shut down for the night as well. So the two of them were kind of like mingling on the street with a crowd and called an Uber. And while they were waiting for this Uber, two men approached them. These were Jonas Dick and Alex Smith. What you need to know about Jonas and Alex is that they were no strangers at picking up women late at night, or rather early in the morning. Because as these pickup artists say, that would be an easy lay. These women would be drunk on the streets, and they might just score and bring one of them home. The consciousness and the fact that they would maybe be passed out or blackout drunk didn't really matter to them. They actually even had a name for it. They called it Pull a Clock. And that is because of how easy it was to bring these women leaving the bars home. So these two guys approach them. They're like, no, the night doesn't have to end. Like, just cancel that Uber. Our flat is just a few blocks away. Just come over for a couple more drinks. Claire and Laura decide to do that. And at this point, Claire would later say that she doesn't even remember meeting them. At this point, she was drunk and she just remembers stumbling and somebody pushing her along. And that somebody had receding hairline, which will become important later. The next thing she remembers is being in this partially furnished bedroom on a mattress. And this bed didn't even have a headboard 
Which again tells you something. I'm smirking because there's a whole ass niche on TikTok about girls asking guys to show them what their bed looks like and like then judge them if it doesn't have a headboard. So yeah, that tells you that they were also not really, you know, successful men who like had even their beds and mattresses sorted out. But what Claire remembers now is that she took a sip of something. Like, one of these guys passed her a drink that looked clear. It looked like it might be water. But then she doesn't remember it tasting like water. So she doesn't know whether this was spiked or what happened next. But before she can think about it, she fell backwards. And this is when everything went black. Like, she couldn't remember a thing. She would later say that she would snap in and out of it. She would feel the bed underneath her. And then she would remember vomiting on the floor. And she remembers hearing voices, but it kind of sounded like Charlie Brown, as she says in this story to her. So it's just like muffled voices in the background. And she couldn't distinguish whether it was one man or two men just speaking. It was all a blur. As this is happening, Laura, who is also drunk, is actually in a different part of the apartment. And now there is a third man that was living with them. So Laura is actually chatting with Jonas, who was on the street, one of the men that they have picked up. And on the way in, though, Laura saw another man called Jason Berlin. And this guy was kind of just like lying on the floor, lazing about. He wasn't out with Alex and Jonas. Laura's recollection of this night is that she is sitting with Jonas. At the beginning of their chat, he kind of tried to kiss her, but she wasn't into it. She rejected it. So they were just drinking a beer and just chatting. At some point, Laura is like, I need to go to the toilet. I need to pee. And she goes to the bathroom. And when she comes back, she realizes she doesn't know where her phone is. It's as if, like, Jonas has taken her phone. So she's looking for the phone. And Jonas has hidden it inside the pocket of this shirt that was hanging in his closet. Because at this point, they were in his bedroom just chatting. And she's like, okay, this is really weird of him to do. Why is he technically taking my phone away from me okay she felt immediately uncomfortable like all of the red flags just all of the alarm bells popping off in her head and she realizes she needs to go get claire and it's time to get lost to get out of there laura then knocks on the door she opens it she sees claire's dress on the floor and claire lying face down in a pool of her vomit as laura rushes to help claire out alex and jason are laughing. They're standing naked, laughing, saying, we just tag-teamed your friend, meaning they just gang-banged Claire. I don't know how else to say that they both did it with her. They, they, They have a term for it. We'll speak about it later. Laura and Claire get out of the flat, and Claire knew that she wanted to alert the police immediately. And she calls them. The patrol officers arrive at this flat complex and they test Claire's blood alcohol level. They find that the blood alcohol level Claire had in her system was at 0.151, which is, according to the article, about twice the legal limit to drive. So, drunk but not like blackout drunk, which could have been due to the vomit, but it also could have been due to somebody spiking her drink. 
As Claire is driven in the back of the police car to this lab for them to perform the rape kit, a police officer starts banging on the door of the apartment 3031. Other people living in that apartment complex come out to investigate to see what is going on, but nobody inside of the flat opens the door, so the police officers decide to just leave it, and they just walk away. Like a crime didn't just happen there, and they don't need anybody's statements. In a different part of San Diego, Claire is identified as rape victim. They assign a number to her. She's directed into this examination room and told to take off her clothes. Here they took pictures of her. The nurse performed a rape kit and tested Claire for STDs, performed a vaginal exam, and took a DNA sample. Claire here realized that her dress was torn apart, that her underwear is missing, and she remembers this examination room not even having a shower, so she just kind of like washed her face, washed the vomit off her face in this little sink that was there, and then went back into the patrol car, and these police officers transported her home, which is where Claire remembers just crawling into bed and crying until she fell asleep. Before I tell you what happens of this investigation, let us go into the background, or what we know about these three of the most disgusting individuals. Something that I need to emphasize at the beginning of this background is that we won't know too much about these guys, but what I really need you to engrave into your brains are their ages. Jason Berlin was 23, at the time that Claire was raped, Alex Smith was 27 and Jonas Dick was 28. Just, just bear that in mind. Just, uh, these are not, not that this would make it any better, but these are not young teenage boys. These are not people at college. These people are grown-ass men that should know exactly what they're doing at that knew exactly what they were doing. So just uh, on top of that, just need you to remember their ages. Now let's talk about Jonas Dick first. In February 2011, Jonas Dick was studying at Wichita State University. He was the youngest of four children, he was born in a Catholic family, and at some point in life apparently valued hard work and Christian values. He was studying international business at Wichita University, but then in 2012, something just seems to have switched in his head. He moved to California, and this is when his family said that he has lost his way. His mother would later write to the court that he was overwhelmed with pretty girls, beautiful beaches, outstanding weather, and all that is associated with California. But the family would know that he moved to California and then went back being charged with rape. They wouldn't know necessarily why he moved there in the first place or the entirety of everything. Like, what was Jonas getting up to online? What they didn't know was that in 2011, when Jonas was still in Wichita studying, he started being involved on these message boards on Real Social Dynamics. We're going to talk about that now. This is where he would start making posts on his failures and random sexual encounters with women. Now, RSD, or Real Social Dynamics, is the world's largest dating coaching company. Real Social Dynamics, or RSD, is this company that originated in LA in 2002 and since then has piled up millions of dollars by selling pickup to these lonely, socially awkward men. 
In 2013, when the events of the day have happened, RSD Forum was only known by the niche community that was into this. They were the only ones that knew that it existed. Today, this kind of forum contains almost a million posts. And contributors on this forum are pickup instructors, students, basically anybody who RSD believes they can convert into paying customers. On this forum, Jonas represented himself as a pickup teacher. He said he was working for this company called Efficient Pickup. Efficient Pickup was a San Diego company that is owned and operated by RSD alumni called John Malwill and Josh Lewis. Another man that went as an instructor on this RSD forum was Alex Smith, the man with the receding hairline that led Claire to the apartment that night. So if thinking about this on a bigger scale, RSD was just like a bigger forum, still the same niche of these pickup teachers and students and wannabe paying customers because that was the ultimate goal to get people to pay for this kind of advice and to pay for these kind of conferences. And then Efficient Pickup was also a registered company, but it was kind of just like a branch of this already niche business, but they had a smaller forum and a smaller website and well a smaller amount of paying clientele. On both of these forums though what people could find were layout plans and popular clubs in downtown of San Diego and also the Pacific Beach highlighting unmonitored hallways and easy exits out because of course sometimes last minute resistance really isn't about consensual sex easy pickup artists. Because why else, if you are that successful at your own game, why do you need an emergency exit? And then, most horrifyingly, all of these forums had what they called the field reports. Now, just for a second, pause this podcast and think about what the field reports could be, what field reports are about in general. They would be retelling all of the accounts of the stories of... Well, they're success stories, really, of all of the women that they have pulled slash raped and how that experience went for them. And they published them all online for everybody to see. In these posts, women are often not identified by name, but rather by a number or on a scale of how hot they were. Once you would be reading through these reports, you would familiarize yourself with all of these terms, such as the lay report, the last-minute resistance, and even DDBL, which stood for doggy dinner bowl look, which is when a woman is so attracted to you as a pickup artist that she has those big eyes, she kind of slightly lowers her jaw and tilts her head and looks in the anticipation towards you, just like a dog waiting for their dinner. Just to give you an idea of how on these forums these pickup artists differentiated between what was consensual and what wasn't. When an RSD member in one of these blog posts asked Alex Smith how to tell a difference between last-minute resistance and an actual rejection, another man responded describing Alex. He doesn't care about the difference. All resistance is token resistance. I call him the pit bull because once he latches on, he won't fucking let go. When it comes to Jonas Dick, we really don't have much information on his background. We just know what he was posting between 2011 and 2013. 
in these field reports. And this is, I mean, this was grim so far, but this is when it truly just gets too descriptive and it's just morbid as hell. So this is what in 2011 Jonas wrote in one of these field reports about going into a club and at the end of the night taking this girl back to his brother's home. Man, this girl was wasted, but she obviously wants me to bang her. I'm a little perplexed because I want to bang her, but at the same time don't want to get accusations. He then continues... I get on top of her. It's dark and I know how wasted she is. For some reason, I was having a little trouble getting it in. Mainly because she was drunk and I couldn't spread her legs very far as we were on the couch. He then says after this, after this rape, let's call it for what it is, he drops the girl off home. So, yeah, I didn't give her any info and hopefully she doesn't remember any part of me tomorrow. She wasn't mad at all, which is good. Sometimes chicks will freak out once they sober up and realize what they've done for the night. No shit, Jonas. They will figure out once they realize that they have been raped. And then you have taken them home while making sure that you don't give them any details. Wow. And you call yourself, what, a student of pickup artistry. This is why this thing disgusts me. Because they just, they don't care. The lines are so blurred when it comes to resistance that you just know that they simply do not care as long as the lay count increases by the night. To this post, another RSD member replied, Don't sweat the shit. 80% of chicks who were raped don't press charges. Chicks can't handle social pressure, and pressing charges involves a lot of social pressure. Of the things that do get reported, the case needs to be solid enough where the prosecutor would want to pursue it. Meaning, if she's a dumb idiot, no lawyer or cops would listen to her. Those horror stories of a chick pointing the finger and a guy going to jail is media hype. So that post, among the others on RSD and all of the advice to these field reports and how this guy shouldn't spread it because nobody's going to report this, would stay on these RSD forums for years. It was through these RSD blog posts, these member connections, that Jonas Dick met Alex Smith. Alex, like many of these people, read Neil Strauss's The Game, but it was only on New Year's Eve in 2012 that he would meet the man that would actually introduce him fully to the world of pickup industry, this RSD member called Josh Lewis. <laughs> this, is, this is my light. The light in this story is how this Daily Beast journalist describes these men, especially Alex. Alex is like the worst looking out of all of them. So there was this article on Daily Beast that exposed this whole story and then a lot of like other little news articles. But yeah, this was the longest one. And I think this journalist was actually involved in their trial or maybe even spoke with them. He was just mostly involved in this research. So he described Alex as balding, lumbering, and smelly, which, I mean, late 20s made white men just don't age well, and smelly, that is not about aging, my man, just shower. You can't be a pickup artist and be smelly at the same time. Fucking disgusting. He would be taking Adderall for his ADHD, and he was described as socially awkward. In spare time, Alex enjoyed online role-playing games, 
But on this RSD forum, he described himself as a lady killer who slept with different women every night of the week. Sure, mm-hmm, sure, you didn't fucking shower in a week. Like, you sure, like, pulling women on the streets left, right, and center. He had a blog that was titled Tales of a Sex-Addicted Narcissistic Player. Yeah, no, make sure you diagnose yourself, because one day when you land in court, it will prove very useful to the defense team. Now, make sure you... Narcissistic, yeah? Are you sadistic as well? No, let's just, let's just throw a couple of terms there, just to make it easier for the defense team. He said his name is Beryl. He went under different... All of these kids went under, like, different handlers online, but some of them were really dumb and used, like partially their names or they're too attached to their name like jonas dick went under dick alex smith went under barrel but then he went like alex something else they always like you can't be like me too attached to your name and then go on to freaking pick up artists and rape women fucking morons exactly like this. like you're making it so easy for the police this is why it pisses me off extra hard that the police doesn't investigate these crimes because it's so easy to find these guys so easy Soon enough, Alex was running his own boot camps and his speciality, according to his own blog, was what he named train game. Train game is when a woman has sex with one man and then immediately with his friend or a second man in the room. Again, doesn't matter to them whether or not this was consensual. But the reason why he said he adores this train game is that it's fucking hilarious and his buddies and him don't generally give a fuck about women that they pull. We get a hilarious story out of it, and it's really fun. Are you 10? Is this an essay for, like, how you spent your summer? If this story wasn't as grim, I would genuinely think these were three 10-year-old boys that just cracked how to access TikTok. They were like, wait, what year should we put in here to make us 16? And then they do, like, simple math, and they're like... 2004? Wow, yeah, 2004, but like early 2004, right? Like, let's put like January and then like invent the birthdays and like crack the code and then they do all of the popular trends while they look like they're 10. That is exactly what makes it so scary because all of these men sound like 10-year-olds doing those trends like in the Six With My Woes by Drake while sipping some hot milk before bed at night and they're like, yeah, you know what, mate? I pulled a girl today. While you're like, no, you actually raped a woman. How many rapes have you gone through? Let's call it for what it is, my man. Like, just learn the correct terminology. He continued to write on the train game. She will usually briefly freak out. Have your buddy come in and start doing whatever on her. Escalating up, then just hop off and have your buddy continue. So while Alex was writing about his field reports, Jonas Dick was finishing his degree at University of Wichita. Then in 2012, Jonas moved to California, and as you remember, his parents didn't know what he was up to. They didn't know that according to these RSD forums, this is supposed to be one big party, and all of the girls, the best-looking girls, are going to be in California. When there, Jonas was actually staying at this hostel in Gaslamp. When there, Jonas was actually staying in this hostel in the gas lamp and just eating at this steakhouse nearby. Through RSD members, he meets Alex. The two of them start teaching for Efficient Pickup. That was the company that was started by their mentors. So how exactly does Jason Berlin fit in? 
Well, Jason at the time graduated from University of California with the degree of economics, and he started his own business. His business was called Venture Pursuit, and for it, he would buy these fixer-upper houses and then sell them for profit. But what Jason wasn't great at was talking to people, especially girls. He said himself he was a bit depressed during this period of time and that he was cripplingly shy and just withdrawn when it came to women. So in the summer of 2013, on one of these pickup websites, Jason actually posts a call for a wingman. So he's asking for a wingman to help him get a girl in the area. Jonas Dick responds to this ad for the wingman, and he says he won't just be the best wingman of all, but also his instructor, because after all, he has been in the pickup game for over two years and claimed that during that time he has slept with over 100 women. What an accomplishment, Jonas! The only trick is Jason needs to become a paying customer. He needs to pay 300 a night for this boot camp. So Alex and Jonas would be teaching him the tricks, and soon the three of them would start going out on the weekends. Alex and Jonas would be picking up on girls, and they would watch Jason as he was practicing what they were preaching. Jason would later say that Alex and Jonas taught him that he needs to become an alpha male and create a mindset that would attract women. They would teach him how to isolate women from their friends, and also how to plow through or just go through the last-minute resistance, meaning how to rape women. But now this wasn't enough for Alex and Jonas, so they kind of hatched a plan for a more immersive experience, because Jason Berlin was obviously a lost cause. They had to be with him at all times. So Jason would pay $2,000 a month for an apartment near the gas lamp quarter, which was a five-minute walk away from all of these bars and nightclubs. The catch here was that Alex and Jonas would be living there, but Jason would come over on the weekends and they would go out and he would be taught all of the lessons. So in October 2013, all of them move in. Twelve days after Alex and Jonas moved into that gas lamp apartment, Claire would end up being raped. And a couple of days later, a post on the Efficient Pickup Forum would read, Make her beg for my dick, and I say only if my friend can fuck you too. So we run a train on the hoe. I text Jonas to choo-choo her, but he has to occupy her friend. Her friend came out, and I was like, yeah, we just tag-teamed your friend. My chick freaked out, cause now she's the slut, etc. I get hit in the face with a high heel. I laugh, we kick them out. Detail to be added when I have time. Now is the time that I tell you that we have all of the details on their background, their field reports, not due to the police interrogation, not because of a journalist taking on this story. We have a whole dossier on these guys because of a victim herself. And this is because in the weeks after her rape, while Claire was getting medications for pain, while she was waking up from night terrors because she developed PTSD, while she was taking breaks from her job to go cry in the women's bathroom, the police hadn't even bothered to go back to the apartment to knock back on that door and question these suspects, or collect any evidence from the inside, which is by this point probably long gone. And this is because, unfortunately, to a certain degree, these guys were right about the persecution of the rape cases. 
Statistics in San Diego in particular show that the prosecution is to be incredibly rare. For example, in the first half of 2016, 558 rapes were reported to the law enforcement. Out of those 126 reports involved intoxication, 18 have been referred to the DA, and after those 18, 12 were declined by the state prosecutors, Three were reviewed, and only three of them were taken on. Since 2010, the San Diego DA filed charges of rape by intoxication only 28 times and rejected 80% of the cases it received from the law enforcement. So, as the month is going by and Claire sees that the police isn't doing anything, she remembers that her friend Laura actually mentioned one of their names, as in the man that was speaking to her seems to have given up his own name, Jonas Dick. When she puts the name Jonas Dick into a Google search, she stumbles upon this. Jonas Dick, San Diego, LA, San Francisco. The guy's name is on another level that no one has ever seen. He pulls every single night he's out. He has regular threesomes from cold approach. And it's not uncommon for him to fuck three girls in one night in the same venue. His lay count is now over 150. At the age of 24, it's hard to believe just three years ago he was a virgin. And then, to her shock and horror, she finds out the field reports, and she finds the date of her own rape. Jonas and I are both teaching boot camp tonight. We ran into each other at pool o'clock, bar closing. He asks me to wing for him. I do. Within a couple of minutes, I'm fingering my girl right outside the bar in public. Pull back to the spot. Zero last-minute resistance, make her back for my dick etc., etc., the train game description. There is a whole statement that Claire would later read out in court that is so eloquently written. I actually can't believe this is written by a rape victim, that she lived through all of this, and the police just allowed it. Like, this woman read all of these field reports, including her own, and then had to make a statement to actually appear in court. The bravery that Claire has showcased during this whole case is just commendable. It's on another level. And I would suggest if you can stomach any more of this case to read the whole of it online. Some parts are either too graphic or too personal that would probably trigger a lot of people listening to this. So those are the parts that I'm not putting in. But she said about finding her own field report that it's undescribable, that it's undescribable to explain what it's like to read your own rape in journal format. She then continued to print out all of the blogs and created an infographic showing their relationship to the underground pickup community. And she handed this whole dossier, she had a whole file on them, and handed it over to the police, basically just doing all of their work. And this was finally enough for a search warrant. They could have done this themselves and not let this woman relive through everything herself. Something that struck her as crucial as she was reading through this was that women were not mentioned by name, but by number. Virtual high fives were given by fellow followers. The mission statement said it was about building men's confidence, but what you really do is manipulate women. Finally, with this search warrant, the San Diego DA's office filed rape charges against each of three men. Thanks to Claire and purely her own research, the case went to trial in 2015. 
DA finally formally charged Alex, Jason, and Jonas with two counts of rape of an intoxicated person and an unconscious person. And Jonas' crime was essentially something that is called rape in concert, and that is that he didn't actually rape Claire, but he was present. He was keeping her friend occupied full well, knowing what was going on in the room that is just adjacent to his, and not doing anything to prevent it. And had it not been for Claire looking this man up, had it not been for Claire doing this research, Jonas would have actually gotten away not just with this rape, but another rape of a 17-year-old girl that preceded Claire's. And it was as easy as the police just taking a DNA swab from Jonas that they then put into the system and it matched another victim's rape kit. But when it comes to this case, I'm not sure what happened. Did the student not want to press charges or was the statute of limitations up really? But he was not charged for this. He could have gotten double the amount of time. When it comes to how they pled in court... Both Jonas, Dick, and Jason Berlin pled guilty to Claire's attack, but Alex Smith pled not guilty, claiming that Claire had consented. My man, there's another man that was in that room, you know, your train game partner, that said that she didn't consent, that said that she was raped by you as well. That train game kind of backfired, huh? Choo Choo came back in reverse onto you. Like, what is the logic? Did you not, like, you know, maybe speak, with, make the lawyers communicate? How can one person in the same room say she consented while the other one says she didn't? Not really the brightest tool in the box. That's the sharpest tool. Oh, sh- that's the expression. Not the sharpest tool in a toolbox, right? I, did, your, did my face just light up in this comic after the grimness of it? Because I remember the expression. Watch me Google it later and this not being the expression. What else could it be? Not the smartest bee in a beehive? Are bees considered smart outside of Europe? That's why I was named after bee. My parents thought I would have potential and because I was fat and swollen as fuck and didn't have a neck okay different time different story for a different time let's move on with the grimness of it all they were all tried separately and Jason Berlin actually tried to cooperate with the police in order to attempt to get some leniency and he testified at Alex's trial revealing the details about the company's methods and trying to minimize his own involvement in this attack but it wouldn't really end up working. And this is where, yet again, I cannot say this enough, how much I commend any survivor, Claire included, just anybody who has to go through these trials, who has to read their impact statement. And not just that, but what we don't think about is that they have to sit through all of their bullshit. They have to sit through the defense of this man trying to say that they weren't drunk enough, that they consented to this, that they went to their flat, trying to basically just slut shame the shit out of them trying to victim blame and say that Claire was just embarrassed, just like every other victim of rape. This isn't rape. She just consented and then later regretted it and then tried to point the finger at any single one of them. When it came to Berlin's trial, his lawyers went for quite a controversial defense, you could really say, because they described him as a socially awkward guy. They said that he doesn't have the ability to show emotion because he lives with Asperger's and he's on the autism spectrum. 
Berlin himself said he was impatient and embarrassed because he was unsuccessful in developing friendships and relationships with women. He then made the biggest mistake of his life and by paying thousands of dollars, he naively believed that he was being mentored. His lawyer said that his history is one of desire and need to fit in, not the one of criminality. And when the DA would interject and say, well, he bragged himself that he slept with 30 women under this mentorship, well, then his lawyer said, he's a student, he's just a sponge. He was having the time of his life, but was taught wrong. It's all the fault of the other two men. He was just a student of their own practice. Even Berlin's mom spoke at his trial, and she said she apologized to Claire, and she said that she strongly believes her son is different than the other two defendants, that his agenda isn't about sex, and that he was just trying to connect to somebody outside the work. They tried to portray him as this workaholic who was just, like, misguided by these two evil men. Now, let me read you some parts of Claire's statement, because the way she describes it is, is something else. That night was not an oops or a coincidence of events. It was strategically planned by these men who not only manipulated and raped women regularly, but blogged and profited from it through their fans, followers, and students. She then went on to explain how, since the attack, she suffers from PTSD and has become paranoid around strangers. She told the courtroom, and by this point she was an expert on this, she researched all of them, she told them that thousands of dollars would be spent on each of the boot camps guaranteed to bring their students' results and bring their lay count up. It's difficult to summarize how this has impacted my life. I have gotten far from coping with this incident, but I have yet to fully heal from this trauma. Seeing my dress torn in half after I took it off after the exam, hearing the camera lights flash as it took pictures of my torn vagina and bruises all over my body. Having to get tested for every STD and nervously waiting to get back HIV results, especially after reading the reports of them having unprotected sex with multiple women at night and visiting Tijuana for prostitutes. The painful feeling in my chest when I read Mr. Smith and Mr. Berlin's version of what happened that evening and uncovering this whole world. Continuing to read blog reports after that night and knowing that these same men are still out there preying on women in San Diego and around us. Bear with me, we have to push for it together because this is important and it's impactful. Having to identify my underwear in a three-inch binder full of other pictures of women's clothing found in that apartment. Watching the news clip on NBC covering this case and finding out that hundreds of pictures and videos were taken of unconscious women on Smith's cell phone. Seeing my story travel through social media like wildfire and then reading comments like bring a new meaning of the term sloppy seconds or calling me a worthless slut with zero self-respect and referencing my vagina to a hotel corridor where random people come and go and don't give a fuck. I have cried endlessly until my body couldn't anymore, horrified of these types of men. And from this pickup artist community, I never knew existed until now. These memories, names, faces and actions continue to haunt me every day and night. I fear for the retaliation on challenging rape culture and this pickup artist mentality. 
but I fear even more for the other women in San Diego and across the globe that will also become victims of these teachings. My only strength these past several years, close to three years now, is to see these trials through and to know these free sexual predators will not harm another person or teach others how to do so. Thank you. And something that probably Claire noticed herself and that I noticed while researching this story is how awful it is that she was treated as a number by these men. She was just a number in their lay count, just used for them to brag on these forums and websites. And how then she was just treated as a number in that examination room by the police. Which is something that is a problem, which is something that needs to change. Why not just treat them by an alias? Just give them an alias. Like, I understand that you can't really reveal patients' data like that. You can't really have a full name. We need to understand how this psychologically affects a victim of a crime. And we need to change it up. Now, there are plenty of times in this story when I felt goosebumps, where I felt like this is the eeriest, the creepiest part. But this truly was it for me, this next bit. And I'm not sure whether this was revealed to the public, whether this footage was released, whether it was played at court, or whether it was just part of Claire's research. But through her research, she found out about this property manager of that building, of the apartment complex where the three men were staying. And this property manager started sending the detective on the case the pictures and the footage of what she would see on the CCTV footage. She said these men would come in with women that looked happy and relaxed. When these women would come out, they looked stunned and upset and with a tense body language. She said she didn't know if they were raped, but if there was ever a body language for rape, that's what this would have been. This woman also couldn't say how many women she saw leave in this way, leave upset from that apartment building, and none of these women were identified to date. Speaking of verdict, California is actually notoriously relaxed on rape. In June that same year, Brock Turner, who was a former Stanford University swimmer that was involved in a really famous rape case, got only six months in county jail for three felony counts of sexually assaulting a woman behind a dumpster on a campus. In August, a man called Austin Wilkerson was convicted of sexually assaulting a half-conscious woman, and in his case, a judge opted for two years of work release program, during which Wilkerson would work or go to school during the day and then just report to jail at night. The judge in our trial, Judge Frazier, wasn't about to follow in their steps. Jeffrey Frazier sentenced Alex Smith to eight years in prison, which was the maximum sentence under California law, and he said that he wished he could have sentenced him to more. When sentencing him, Frazier praised the woman's amazing work to investigate the men and bring them to justice. He concluded his verdict by saying, I've got to tell you, having sat up here for 18 years, there's a lot of people that have sat in that chair, and I can't recall. Murderers, rapists, kidnappers. I don't know if I've seen one that has been as mean and cruel as you have been. 
he went off and said, you had your own language, you had your own apartment, you had your own school. That is the only thing that you could say about your school. It was about being a rapist. I wish we could take your photo. I wish we could place it on all of the pickup artists' websites to let other men know this is completely unacceptable conduct. It's not funny. It's criminal. And you suffer consequences when you do this. This is not a hard decision at all. In fact, if I could give you more time, I would. But the law only allows me to give you a certain amount of time. He called Claire an absolute hero because he said in all likelihood there would have been other victims had she not done her research. And he concluded that he hopes that this will encourage other rape victims, especially those cases that are difficult to prove, to feel confident in the justice system once again. Jonas received eight years as well for the two rapes, and Jason Berlin got a maximum of eight-year sentence. I've read also that the ones that were in the room with Claire would need to spend a lifetime on the sex offender registry, which, good. Good, so that if they move into a neighborhood, somebody can look them up and see that they're actually known sex offenders. So, right now, you're in love with this judge. You're like, yes, Judge Frazier, killing it. Killing it, amazing. But one of them was back in front of the same judge in court in 2017. And this is probably purely, because of course I had to Google these kind of things, because he appealed, and he appealed using a really famous lawyer. Jason Berlin used a lawyer called Judy Clark, once known as the most ferocious lawyer in America. She defended worst of the worst. She was the one that defended Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, Susan Smith, the mom that drove off into the lake drowning her children. So, yeah, she knew what she was doing and she was probably taking it because it was a high-profile case and because... You know, she just takes cases of the biggest scumbags, apparently. That's what what turns this woman on. She's also... (laughs) Somehow, I could have sworn my life that this woman was British. She's the most British-looking American woman. You can't can't tell me otherwise. Mm -mm. Judy, Judy, you even have a British name. I'm sorry. No, you have some British roots, Judy. Because, or maybe... Maybe when you defend a couple of assholes, um, you start showing up the ugliness on the surface, you know. Maybe, just maybe. During this trial, Judge Fraser said that he didn't actually give enough weight in the first trial to the factors in favor of a lighter sentence for Jason, like his autism and his Asperger's. The forensic psychiatrist testified that Berlin had autism spectrum disorder, which was a mental disability that reduced his understanding of right and wrong behaviors. Here, yet again, Claire had to appear because, of course, she had, and she pled with the judge not to revoke this sentence of eight years to remain with the maximum sentence, saying that she is still fearing for her life, saying that she still has the PTSD. Like, you can't just sentence him to something and then just appeal it, like, it's my life that's on the line here. Claire here spoke for 10 minutes, urging the judge not to reduce the sentence. She said she's scared that his ASD diagnosis will be the excuse to all pickup artists, that they will use it in the future. And in response, Jason said that he learned a lot about himself and that now he knows what he did was wrong and that he needs professional help. 
and he apologized for what he did. And in the end, Fraser reduced his sentence from eight to six years. So one other reason why I'm talking about this story today is because by doing simple math, all of them will be out. Well, Jason Berlin in what next year? Yep, because they were all sentenced in 2016. And then the other two, two years after that. So if you are in San Diego area, familiarize yourself with these faces. Because I'm just not sure whether eight years in prison was enough for their mindset to change completely. Whether they will get out of prison, new men that will not use anything that they have used in the past in order to pick up girls. Uh, you just can never be completely sure. And also kind of Google, you know, if they're in your area, they will be on sex offender lists. Now let's briefly talk about motives to conclude this beautiful episode. I think, yet again, thanks to Claire, it's easy to understand from all of their writings that they had a goal in mind. They were all proving a point. They were all proving to be these alpha males that could up their lay count, that could score any girl. They just needed to know the time of the night, or rather of the day, when to pick up these girls and bring them to their flat. It was all about just the right timing and the right technique. And this would make them opportunistic rapists, which are the ones that seize any chance for sexual gratification, such as the loss of self-control on the part of the victim under the influence of alcohol. And what I found interesting in this particular case, as I mentioned before, is that they don't see the line between this last-minute resistance, rejection, proof, the shit test, every single term under the face of the earth that we spoke about, and actual rape, meaning that they don't see these as rape, even though subconsciously, just from their forum posts, they know. They know that this wasn't consensual. They know that these weren't consensual. They know that these victims weren't 100% awake and definitely weren't giving them an okay. But they still don't consider those as rape, which then in their minds goes to justify them upping the body count. Because to a certain degree, they believe that they have actually scored, that they have actually pulled a woman. And in the studies that have been done looking at pickup artists and looking at rapists in particular, researchers said that if they were to ask a man if they have penetrated against their consent, that they would say yes. But if they ask them if they did something like rape, the answer is always no. And there is actually a similar disconnect when it comes to incarcerated rapists, when it comes to even people that kept sex slaves. And researchers have said that this is not because they deny sexual assault, it's just that the crime is always committed by the monster that's over there. It's always committed by somebody else, which we could see crystal clear in this case. Every single one of them blamed the other one, even when two of them were in the same room doing this train game and committing the gang rape. But that is the highly underdiscovered gas lamp rape case. But now look at the time. I shouldn't have kept you waiting, but we are here now. You're going into your next Zoom call where you should probably start up a conversation about different triggers that you know got to you during this story, whether you are male, female, whatever you identify as. Because I feel like 
every single person listening to this story will have certain points that trigger them more than others. For me, it was the victim statement because I know had I been in the similar situation that I would have probably been correlating the same things. Like, this is what I'm doing while the police isn't doing anything. This is what I need to do in order to solve this. This is the information that I need. And this is how I'm being treated by these men and how I'm being treated by this system. And then it was that footage by the property manager that just showed that this is a pattern, that this was something that was calculated, fought through, and that they have committed to every single night. And if you are a man, I truly hope that you see that inadvertently, even if you have ever been in a situation where your mates or yourself are on a night out and like after the bars shut, you know, you're just on the streets waiting for a train, waiting for a bus, and you start chatting up a girl yourself or you see somebody else doing it. That, as I mentioned, maybe unconsciously, maybe inadvertently, you are following some of these pickup techniques. You are doing this at a time of the night when the woman is probably vulnerable, when she is probably intoxicated. And I just want you to keep this in the back of your head when you see somebody chatting up a woman that either looks like she can't give consent or looks very uncomfortable in this situation. Or yeah, looks intoxicated and like she doesn't want to be there and to possibly react in those instances because I don't think we talk about this much how whether it is planned or not there is time and there are places when these guys strike up and they use the techniques that we are not necessarily aware of and because of them practicing these techniques over and over again there is a chance that they might work So in questioning these guys' motives, in questioning what you see on the streets after a bar shuts down and possibly intervening in those situations, let's keep making this world a better place, one motive at a time. Oh, bye, fuckers! Oh, bye, where's the outro music? Where is it? Where is it, what I mean?